0: I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. Today on the show, you are going to hear from Roberta Mantenuto, CEO of Fits, formerly our event, and sometimes, you know, the biggest changes come from changing the smallest details. This is one of those occasions, to me at least, FITZ is the Canadian company revolutionizing the vent and register business, as well as a a couple other products. They created a modular air vent. And you know what I love most about this? For the longest time, we we just used what we had available. Contractor grade from the bid box, or perhaps a boutique brand that made the same style of vent, right? but with nicer finishes. But FITZ now has a full line of framed and flush mount covers, vents, outlets, and drains. It's just a, it's a simple idea. And that's what I love most about this story. I sat down with Roberta, CEO and co-founder of FITZ, and daughter of company co-founder and inventor, Paolo. One of the, the biggest parts of this story is in the simplicity of the idea. Another is the elegant execution of the concept. The third idea is the scaling up and recent name change to stay current. The final piece for me is the story of a father-daughter duo making something amazing happen and executing on this simple idea in a very big way. It's pretty cool and I think you're gonna love it. You're gonna hear my conversation with Roberto Mantenuto right after this. I am incredibly proud of Convo by Design in year 10, and I'm equally proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They've been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons. They were the first company to design patent the technology here in the U.S. dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a U.S. brand, a U.S. manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Who else does that? Nobody. I have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me And you probably know this, that the idea of luxury has changed and continues to change, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory, or it's just not considered a a luxury space. And if you wanna add steam, you have one true option, It's Thermosol. And now, Thermosol, the industry leader in steam, bath equipment and technology since 1958, is enhancing their already stellar family of products with new indoor and outdoor luxury saunas. Available in three design configurations, each sauna is handcrafted from clear Western red cedar or Nordic spruce, inspired by the brilliance of Northern European sauna technology and design. A luxury bathroom isn't luxury without steam. If you want luxury, you have one option, it's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. Your company makes me happy. And I will tell you first and foremost, why is the idea of a, a, I'm a girl dad. And so the idea of a father daughter company is very, very cool to me. The second part of that is the products that you make are very, very cool to me. (laughs) Paulo. Your dad solved a problem. And I kind of want to back up a little bit. Do me a favor, tell me the story. Tell me the company You, you guys started in 2016, but it solves it solves a couple of different problems in design that, to be quite honest with you, have existed since forever. And and I was I was today years old. I mean, theoretically, when I when I learned about our event and what you guys do and how you solve this problem. And I think it's very cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll give you the story from my perspective, but if you ask my dad, he might have a, a little bit of a, a different version of the story. Okay. Um, so I'll I'll take it all the way back. My my parents um, used to own a stone fabricating company. So I grew up in the office, I worked for them, you know, every summer in high school and university. And so I was very familiar with like, the nuances of a family business. And I got to a point after university that I thought there's absolutely no way that I'm going to continue working for my parents. I didn't go to school to do the same job I was doing when I was 14. Um, And so I was very resistant to the idea of working with them. So I went traveling. Uh, I was kind of in a place after school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I actually wa- thought I wanted to be an in interior design. And while I was on that trip, my dad sent me this email and he said, I think I've, I think I've got something here. I've reinvented the vent. He sent me a photo of this like preliminary prototype made of tin and duct tape and all these things. said, I think I have something here. When you get home, I think he literally said, you have nothing going for me for you. Why don't you help me launch this brand? And he was right. I had nothing going for me. I thought, okay, I'll set him up. And he said he really wanted to put it on an online store. He was fascinated with Amazon. This was seven years ago. Uh, Amazon was very different uh, than it is today. And I thought, okay, let's do this. So it was really just meant to be like our little weekend project. We never thought it was going to be the company it became today, we started operating out of a 10 by 10 storage locker Then we moved to a 10 by 15. And then we actually bought a warehouse. And the whole, you know, I would say first two years, I kept telling my dad, I don't want to work for you. I will help you set this up and then I'm going to go do something else. And he just, you know, kept leaving breadcrumbs thinking, okay, you know, maybe we should do some packaging. And those things always excited me, right? Brand like thoughtful brands really excited me. Um, oh, you know, we might need some social media. Just help me set it up. And um, seven years later, <laughs> here we are.
0: That is great. Okay. So it, the idea of the vent. It yeah, goes goes back a hundred years,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you know, it's always been the same. So this idea that that the vent, I, and listen, I know that there have been minor modifications and, and certain changes along the way, but not like this. This is a wholesale change. This is yeah. this is tantamount to, um, you know, in in the bathroom. That I remember the first time I saw this idea of an of an invisible drain, you know, in, mm-hmm. in a shower. And I thought, you know, gosh, I love uh, there are decorative drains and some like the decorative drain. Others love the idea of it being an invisible drain, but they have a choice. Right. And whereas in the past, the choice didn't really exist. That aha moment for the company. Talk to me about scaling up. So you, you manufacture in Canada and yeah. it's been seven years. It's not like it's been 70 years. So it's still it's still a relatively new company and you have to still be learning along the way but I'm curious about the design process the scaling up the scaling up in extremely trying times I mean let's be honest you the company really you, you started in 2016 whether you wanted to or not March of 2020 you had to you had to reevaluate you had to reevaluate what you were doing how you were going to get it how you were going to manufacture how you mm-hmm. were going to distribute um, who your clientele was going to be. And now, and by the way, Roberta, I know I'm, I'm throwing a ton at you. Um, <laughs> nope, it's all good, <laughs> but I'm really, I'm, I'm curious from the business side because you've done it quickly and the product really is a, from a specification standpoint, it, it it's a game changer. It really changes things up. How did you do that?
1: Well, there's Rosie.
0: <laughs>
1: um, Um, Yeah, so I mean, in terms of the product development, that's all my dad, I don't take any responsibility for that. Um, Basically, how he came up with the idea was out of a customer need at their other company, right? Um, Before we used to water jet stone slabs. And that would be, you know, the customized version of a tile vent. Um, So he had this particular project where there was a lot of vents, It it was a penthouse suite, and there was vents all across the front of the windows. And he said, hold on, let me come up with a better idea, a better solution for you. So he came up with this iteration of the vent. And you know, of course, From that point, uh, from the idea to the point that he presented it to the customer, there was about a hundred different iterations. At one point, he thought he made a humidifier. He put a little baggie inside of the the tray in our vent and, you know, he showed my family and he's like, I think I made a humidifier. And my my, my mom was like, there's two ounces of water that can fit in that tray. Nobody needs a humidifier like that. Like, what are you, are you crazy? And so then he put a piece of stone and said, okay, wait, what about this? Does this look good? Um, And so, you know, being in the stone industry, um, we really get exposed to a lot of people who are trying to solve design problems. And he noticed that there was a gap in the market that we had evolved so far with so much technology. But for some reason, we were all still settling with these ugly grills, you can design your whole home, and then you have that ugly vent that's just sticking on the wall. Um, And, you know, my dad has always been an inventor, he's come up with so many different things throughout his whole life. It, it was not weird to me to get an email from him saying like, I, I have discovered this new thing. He get that very often. Um, so, you know, he he really saw a, a niche and a need in the market. And what happened was um, the time that we started seven years ago, I mean, it's always just like a combination of perfect timing and if you call it luck or, or whatever, but it was perfect timing in the sense that seven years ago, Uh, designers, contractors, architects, they really started to leverage Instagram as a way to generate business and demand and show people their work to get new business. Um, And so we joined Instagram pretty much from the jump. Our product was incredibly visual and beautiful. That's the whole selling point of it. And so people would buy it, because they wanted to post interesting content. And this caused like a lot of conversation. What is that thing? Is it a drain? Is it like very confused? Um, We actually started first as an econ brand because we knew that nobody was gonna take us seriously. We had to prove to everybody that there was a product market fit, and we were able to do that through generating this demand on Instagram. And what people would do is they would buy our products through our online store. They would share their experience on social media, and then they would also share their experience with their supplier. Contracts are at, you know, tile shops, multiple times a week. And they'd say, hey, I've been buying this stuff online. Can you please start carrying it? And that opened up our second business channel, which is B2B. So we still sell online. And then we also sell to specialized retailers like flooring, tile stores, um, hardware stores, big box like Home Depot, Ace Hardware, um, things like that. So these two sales channels have really started to feed in each other. And then, of course, all of this is possible because our products have a utility patent, which means that no one can sell anything that looks or functions remotely like our events. So we've kind of insulated ourselves in a way that, you know, has just set us up for success um, in many ways. And it's funny that you bring up March, 2020. um, We were terrified just like everybody else. You know, nobody knew what was going on, Um, but we actually had an incredible year in 2020 and we benefited a lot from people staying at home, working from home, looking at their ugly vents, <laughs> wanting to do like home projects. Um, yeah, we definitely again we're very lucky. I would say COVID may have helped us in a lot of ways.
0: You know it's you know it's funny to me it is more in an ironic way is, is people are reticent to to say, you know, that it's kind of a sense of guilt. I think that their company benefited, or they personally benefited from the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of I, I get that. I really do. I I feel the same way because look, I have a podcast, and the the show benefited immensely from from people being stuck at home with nothing else to do. You know, I had a I had a catalog of content and people discovered the show and then they went back and watched years and years of content, I benefited as well. And at first I remember thinking, you know, that can't be a good thing. And then I started thinking about it. And, you know, we're going to look back at this opportunity and and we're going to celebrate at some point, celebrate the inventors and celebrate the, the producers and celebrate the people who made things during this time, because it's going to forever transform the the state of design the nature of design what you guys have done is really interesting and i and i want you to walk me through the product line a little bit because it's not just vents. Um, this idea of niches and recessed opportunities for for plugs and for thermostats and for you know for outlets and for benches that that go in in a shower and the, the braces um, I'm also excited to sort of hear how you think about this idea of recessed opportunities. The vent is one opportunity, the other things that you guys are doing, it kind of opens up a, a creative Avenue for brand extensions and additional product lines. How do you think about that? At the same time, you're a small business. Um, you talk about scaling up, but you really have to be more careful than someone who's got a you know hundred or even a thousand SKUs putting out yeah. product all the time. You, you got to do a little more market research. You got to do a little more, is this a viable product before we invest resources in that? How do you evaluate new product? How do you test new product in the marketplace with specifying designers to see if it's something that'll, that'll, that'll latch on? And what does the R&D process look like internally within the company?
1: Yeah, so I, you're absolutely right. We started as a event company. In fact, when we launched our first product, we didn't even name it anything. We just named it the Aria event. And then once we launched the second product, I thought, uh, Dad, I think we need to rename the first one or else this is going to be confusing. <laughs> so like you're just like very earnestly. We did not think that this was going to become anything. And so you know, in the past, I would say five years, we started to really think, okay, you know, we're an innovative company, what else can we do? Can we really add on any more to vents other than sizes and colors? And we really started to consider and think, well, you know, the treatment that we did to the vent, we, we, we challenged the status quo of its its form, and we changed the way it looked and how people see them. Can we do that with other products that nobody has thought about yet? And so the the ethos of our brand and of all of our products is just reimagining mundane, unloved building products. So anything in your home that you've been told by a contractor and they say, that needs to be there, We need to have the sprinkler in. We need to have the uh, light switch there. Like just theres a, there's core functions of an of a interior home that need to have these these gadgets and apparatuses. We want to be able to challenge the way that we see them and that the way that they're installed and how they're incorporated in the rest of the design. There shouldn't have to be sacrifices. You know, we're we're so focused now as a culture of just refining everything. And everyone's taking such care and time and every item that's going into their home, the utility, the final look of it. I mean, just look at what's happened with toasters, you know, in the past Eight years, like toasters are beautiful machines now. They used to be just like, you know, these ugly boxes that had to sit on the counter. So, why can't we do that with light switches? You know, why can't we take advantage of that space and turn it into a real experience uh, to make the design more cohesive? So, that's really what we're looking at. And for us, we are really focused on well, what other decisions is the buyer making at the time that they're also buying vents? right? So they're probably making decisions on their light switches, uh, maybe niches if they're at the drywalling stage, and really taking advantage of the cavities in the wall. You know, the way we build our houses, there's there's a nice gap inside of the wall. Why aren't we using that and optimizing that space, especially as our homes get smaller and smaller? Um, you know, that could be an opportunity, an advantage there. The R&D team, Everything that they do, it's really interesting because we have such a strong connection with the end user and primarily contractors who are installing our products over and over again. Um, We use them. We We have their information. They buy from us online. They follow us on Instagram. We ask them, hey, what other stuff is really hard for you to install or creates friction between you and another trade? How can we solve a problem on the job site? You know, keep in mind my parents, their company as a stone fabricator, they were the last trade on the site every time. So all of the drama that had happened throughout the build, you know, (laughs) they took the brunt of it at the end. And so that's a big problem. And we want to create products that can solve for that. So really looking at ease of install, things that are easy to carry inventory for our retail partners. They don't want 100 SKUs. They want to simplify the SKUs. They want to be able to have high inventory turnover. How can we make modular products that have can be applied in many different circumstances and then look better? Ultimately, we want them to function and then also look better for, for the homeowner. Um, so they, they go through a, an intense R&D process. Product development can take literally anywhere from three months to three years. We have um a 3D printer in our office that is running pretty much 24 seven nonstop, just coming up with new products. And um, you know, this year we've made a commitment. If we really wanna be an innovative company, we need to be putting out innovative products. So every month this year, we are launching at least one new product. Some months it's multiple. Um, and we we're, we're doing a big push for new stuff. And a lot of this stuff, because we haven't had resources, was actually invented and developed years ago that just now we have the ability to bring to market.
0: Gosh, there's so much there to unpack. A, a couple of things. First, I will tell you this. If if I could do if I could do business with anybody as it relates to pairing craftsmanship and skill with problem solving, it would be a highly skilled uh, stone fabricator it would be because i will tell you something i have i have been on the on so many projects and some of these things you know what's you know what's really interesting about it too if done correctly nobody ever really notices what the fabricator did and i have seen so many projects where it's like wow that waterfall how did they get the veining to fall off the edge the way that they did. How did they get the book match on that piece of granite or that piece of marble to, to look that way? Or how did they, how did they craft that design almost like a barista who can craft a flower in the, in the, in the foam on a, on a cappuccino. Right. I kind of envision it that same, that same artistry that a well-skilled fabricator does and they're, they're kind of like the ones, like you said, they're the last in and it's like, no, you, you can't say no to this. You just have to do it and you have to do it right. And you have to go figure it out. It's problem solving in real time. And there's such a skill and a gift to that. And especially today where it's just easier to walk away than to stick with it. And, and I, I don't mean to like take a shot at any particular generation or but it's but you're smiling because you you know where I'm kind of going it's with go, it.
1: It's gonna be a millennial thing. Here no, you no,
0: go, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. You know what's funny? We're totally shifting gears, but it, it's it's funny that you say that. It's not necessarily a millennial thing because I, I remember like so the show is 10 years old, and I remember years and years ago, I want to say it was probably like, I don't know, 2015, 2016 there were all you know every panel at the design centers or every design event it was how do we how do we reach millennials how do we talk to millennials about design what do millennials want how do we get them to specify our product how do we get them to buy our product I, we don't what do they buy what do they want and it took some time for people to realize but millennials i think have come up they're they're really responsible for this concept generationally speaking as it relates to design, where it was it was like, okay, millennials don't want to fill their house with all of this beautifully gorgeous, expensive material. They want something, be it a bureau or a buffet or a watch or sneakers or a, a car or a, a scooter. I, they want something that is important to them. Be it beautiful, be it expensive, be it whatever it is, there's a narrative behind it. There's a story. And then this idea of really adhering to this high, low mix idea, where then you take that one idea and you surround it with so many other things that are of importance to you that play off this one idea or this one object. That concept to me is really fantastic because it it helps further the narrative in design and it creates a story. What I mean though is through social media and it's it's not generational. I think we can I think we can give the boomers a pass on this one. We can kind of let them <laughs> but be it Gen X, Gen Z, Gen Y, millennials, there's this idea that when things get tough, it's it's somehow okay to walk away from it. Yeah. Like um my life is too important. I'd rather be happy than right. You know, I'm just going to walk away from this idea. There's, there's, there are also those individuals who stick with it, who dig in and say, you know what, I'm going to solve this problem. And I think the two camps are really well-defined. So I come back to, to you guys and how you solve a problem. And I want to kind of go backwards a little bit to something that you said, this original idea that you're, it's Paolo, right? Your dad. Yeah. 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 So Paolo came up with this original idea of uh, making a humidifier out of it. Now, I I asked the question and sorry, it's a long winded question, but I asked the question because I'm doing a design house in Tulsa and I'm from Southern California. So in Southern California, I didn't have beach community. I had no issues with humidity or changes in humidity. As it relates to that, when we moved to the Midwest, which is Tulsa and you're in summertime where it's 90 degrees with 60%, 70%, 80% humidity or winter where it's 10 degrees with 5% humidity, it wreaks absolute havoc on everything from the flooring to the furniture to everything.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: When you look at an idea and you shift away from this, well, it can only hold two ounces of water or something like that. Do you ever, and you talk about these new products, which were actually ideated and in envisioned years ago. What does your idea board look like as far as here's the concept, here's the product, here's the release, how do we put it in order? How do you, how do you look at that, especially considering that there are so many ideas that Paulo has on the, on the, on the board how do you prioritize how do you distribute
1: i mean if you were to ask my dad this question he would take everything to market and <laughs> like right away we would have already had 300 products it's really me who's pumping the brakes because um i think just to your point you know the market people really want stuff that's meaningful and makes sense and i think the 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 main um motivator behind each of our products is is it solving a problem and in solving the problem is it creating other problems that's going to make things harder it needs to make things easier all the time so even for instance our receptacle mounts um yes if you're comparing between a regular receptacle mount and ours ours is more complicated right but it's apples and oranges same thing as our vents yeah you need to cut a piece of your material and put it in there but um When you compare it to other customized fence solutions or other flush mount receptacles, those flush mount receptacles are very expensive. They are very complicated to install. It takes collaboration between the drywall finisher and the electrician, and they don't typically, you know, like to kumbaya. (laughs) And so... Um, we needed a product that could make things easier for the installation and then also have a finished look that is somewhat elevated without the sacrifice of the cost, the time um, and, you know, the, the challenges on, on a job site. So that's really what we're looking towards. Really, um, for the product, my dad and his product team, what they're looking at is, you know, you can do this yourself now. You just look around your house and in the room that you're in and see anything that's hanging off the wall that you've just ignored your whole life and really start questioning, does that need to be there? Why haven't we come up with a better solution for frameless baseboards or um, curtains or, um, you know, the the little box for your... Um, your doorbell that hangs off in your foyer? Like, why are we still allowing that to happen? And really seeing, okay, can we improve it without adding extra complications? And do people even want to improve it? And a lot of times they do, they just don't know that there's another uh, solution. Um, And so, you know, all of those things are kind of what excite us. And this is the most beautiful thing about our brand and our company is we start to realize when people get it, when we start to hear from them, like, hey, ever since we spoke, I literally can't stop staring at my vents. They they aggravate me. Or um, you know, people will send us like screenshots of movies or, you know, very famous people that have ugly vents in their background and be like, How Kim Kardashian built, you know, a, a, a beautiful house and for some reason she has those ugly grills. And that just proves the point further in this like. I don't know, this like virality to the brand and to the ethos of it is just start questioning everything and not, um, you know, not having to sacrifice the final look of things. I I think there's just a lot of, there's a lot that can be done.
0: You are listening to my chat with Fitz Company co-founder and CEO, Roberta Mantenuto. We'll be right back. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery style space with a thoughtful display of products, purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available. Stop by to find your inspiration. Collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. The Institute of Classical Architecture and Art, Southern California chapter, is a forum for professionals in the industry and enthusiasts to come together, share their love, and show their commitment to the timeless principles of beauty, proportion, and observation that are embodied in classicism. Their members include renowned architects, designers, landscape architects, builders, students, artists, and creatives from every walk of life. It's a wonderful organization designed to celebrate the unique regional identity of Southern California and help develop the careers of the like-minded. If you're interested in joining or would like to learn more about sponsorship and support for the ICAA Southern California chapter, please email me convo by design at outlook.com. Listen, because so many of the listeners to the, to the podcast are, are in the trade, designers, architects, because they're specifiers, y- you have the e commerce platform, you have your distributors. How do you speak? to specifiers how do you how do you reach the community that's a that's a vastly different conversation
1: yeah so initially when we launched our idea was exactly that we need to talk to the architects and designers they need to be specifying the product and then the contractor at the end of the project is just going to have to suck it up and install it uh, but in the meantime because we had such a good connection in our community with tile and flooring stores, my dad and I went to all of them and just left the display on the contractor desk and told the owners, hey, you don't need to buy this product. We're just really curious to understand the feedback that we get from the contractors. And I would say a couple weeks after we started getting calls like, hey, wh- what is this thing on the counter? Are you, you, know, you just left your business card. Can we buy some? A contractor came in and wants to buy it. And so from the get contractors and final installers are really the ones that have been pushing the brand forward and they will actually bring it to the site and then the designer will see it and be like mm, okay yeah i like that let's let's go for it right because they they have a, a they have a care of, of their craft and to you know innovative products is not something that happens often in that industry so they get excited when there's something new that they can try out and test and you know challenge themselves to see you know if it works and so just I would say in the past year and a half, that's when we really started to get traction at the top of the decision making ladder with architects and designers. And just now they've really caught on. You'll notice that we don't sell direct to architects and designers, we sell through those two channels. And that was intentional um, because we saw the trend towards direct to consumer very early on. Besides that, it was a necessity to prove product market fit. We thought if no one's going to take us seriously, like what we're not gonna wait till somebody, a decision maker decides that we're good enough to include on a project, we'll do it ourselves so that we can prove to them that we're there. And so, yeah, architects and designers, definitely a, a, a part of the market that we we don't speak to directly. And that's in part of our business model because we, don't, we can't sell to them directly. Um, you know, will that change? I, I'm not sure that the US market's very different than the Canadian one. And so we're still trying to get our footing to understand the nuances of decision-making and these projects in the U S it's, it's definitely different than Canada. I'll be honest, like the Canadian market's quite simple to figure out. (laughs) like It's very like clear cut. And um, yeah, I've been, I've been learning very quickly that um, the U S is of course very regional, but also um, there's a lot more vertical integration in the sourcing of products. Um, and then the decision making so yeah that's that's an opportunity for us
0: what is what does that look like to you what what have you learned about the us market and and by the way i will i will tell you being a native angelino from los angeles now in the midwest la is different regionally like from yeah. from the beach cities to the to the valley to the desert to the Inland Empire, it's very, very different. You get to the Midwest, this is a different, this could, this should, Oklahoma should be a different country, not just a different <laughs> state. It is It is basically the difference between Calgary and Toronto. I mean, yes. it is that different, right? <laughs> so how do you navigate the differences? How do you scale up not product or or, or distribution, But the the actual it's a different language. Like, how do you how do how do you do that, considering that it's so vastly different? And what what percentage of, you know, is is the U.S. the target market or is international the target market? And then how do you have to uh, reintegrate your products for other markets? Does everyone have different sizes and how do you how do you adapt?
1: Yeah, so I mean, the, the first thing I'll tell you, any Canadian company, they're always going for the U.S. The U.S. market is ten times bigger than the Canadian market. We have maybe like five major cities, and that's like stretching it. The U.S. you guys just have so much more of everything—cities, <laughs> people, like everything. So it's a beast. And anyone who's in Canada, uh, we test it out here all the time, and then we. It's, Slowly trickle into the US and approach it that way. Um, Canada is not regional. You can find one distributor partner that goes coast to coast. Super simple. Um, it's also, again, it's very big, but the majority of the population, I don't know what the percentage is, but I believe it's close to over 90% of the population, lives between about 100 miles from the US border. So it's very concentrated in terms of population. It's right there. The Canadian market is also. Um, faster to adapt to innovation and new products. Um, with the exception of, uh, LA and I think New York, they're a little bit faster, but everyone else is probably 10 to 15 years behind. And so, yeah, sometimes getting them to even appreciate the modern look of the product, you know, for them, they're still installing, I want to say travertine floors, but now travertine is having a resurgence. So that's not a, <laughs> that's okay. I'll say well, terracotta as well as having a bit of a resurgence, but you know what I mean? Like they're still a little bit delayed. Um and it's very obvious, especially when we go to you know trade shows and things like that. Um, so there's an advantage there and a lot of uh U.S. companies that have presence in Canada, like Home Depot, for instance, they actually use Home Depot Canada as a breeding ground to see what's going to be coming down the pipeline in terms of new products in the next 10 years. Um, and so it, it actually is an advantage to be in Canada because you have early adopters here that that is an excellent market to for proof of concept and then to enter the U.S. market. For us in particular in Canada, again, very simple. <laughs> we have about two sizes of Events maybe like four, if you include the big air returns in the US, every market, every region has their own standard size. And that brought our SKU count. We saw immediately, if we want to enter the US, we need to have like, I think, 15 different sizes of product Um, and so that was really challenging and it was a bit of a slow burn for us to okay what what area we want to target next California right what vent sizes do they have in California let's make those first because we know that they're going to be faster to adapt than a place for instance like Oklahoma Um, and then of course you have different um, climates so uh, I'm not sure where you are, what it would be like, but in Canada we have basements, so all of our vents are on the floor. But in LA, for instance, you do not typically have basements; you will have vents in the walls and ceilings. So that's where our our wall vent came out. We have, you know, a drywall beaded wall vent. You know, we really made that for the U.S. market. In Canada, we can only really use those in basements because our vents are in the ceiling in the basement. Um, and so, just because of sheer volume we we do a lot more drywall vent products because there's just more demand in the US and so like there's those nuances so you know our our big distributor in Canada we do very well in the flooring sector but in the US you might have to go to more towards the drywall vertical they might have more success because that's just how it is so yeah the US is the the big i don't know target and that's that would be the same for every canadian company i imagine
0: you know, and just just putting a bow on this, I, I think one of the things that that I find so wonderful about the product is that you've you've it's not just the vent itself, and, and I do want to ask you about the functionality uh, of you know covering the majority of the the space, the, the actual airflow with material to add to the design, does that, does that impinge upon the efficacy of the product itself? Curious about that. But the idea, too, that you're looking at the niche, the space between the studs, you know, behind the drywall as an opportunity, I just don't think that that space has been, sure, wall safes, I get it. There are some, there are other products that, that utilize that space, but it just seems like territory within a home that hasn't been explored fully. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's so great, but back to the efficacy of, of the product, how does that affect it? And is, is there, is there airflow drop because of that, or is it rerouted?
1: Yeah. So, um, The airflow is comparable to regular grill vents. As you get hot bigger in the sizes, there is a bit of an airflow loss. What I've learned, and I've learned a lot more about HVAC than I ever thought I would in my whole life, (laughs) is that um, the efficiency of your system really has more to do with the design of your system than at the vent that's at the end of the dump. So if you are living in a track home or, you know, like a a mass produced home, typically those homes are built for scale and for mass. And, and a lot of the times they make sacrifices and costs and HVAC systems are very inefficient. So for example, us in Canada, you will always have a room, if you're not in a custom built home, you will always have a room in the home that's very cold and always a room that's very hot. And the balance of the system is not excellent because of you know a myriad of different reasons. So really the best way to use our product is to include it in the build stage and to incorporate and spec it at at the time that you're designing the HVAC system to ensure that there is compatibility. Um, We've sold, I think last August, we sold our one millionth vent, which was a big milestone for us. And we, rarely, uh, I, was, I, I would almost say never uh, get complaints about loss of airflow, but there are some, are some nuances. For instance, high velocity system require high velocity airflow vents. So we, we make all of our products and we get them all third party tested to test for airflow. We make all of that information available on our website. And we always advise to check with your HVAC specialist to make sure that our products are compatible with the system that they've built and designed. Um, And in some cases, that means you might have to add a a second duct. It depends. Like every room, it requires a different CFM. And when it comes to customized air registers, um, you know, people will always question ours because the form is very different. But if you look at the custom wood stain ones, for instance, nobody questions their airflow. And in fact, a lot of those companies don't even do the third party testing or share that information with the with the decision makers. And if you take a look at those vents, they actually also have airflow restrictions. So for us, our approach is let's just be transparent, let's do the testing, make it available, and ultimately check with the HVAC specialists. We in no way present ourselves as HVAC specialists. And because the, the answer to your question is so nuanced, it ultimately becomes a decision maker, um, That can actually see all the nuances on the job site.
0: So let's talk about that for a second. So you have decision maker, which is ultimately in many cases homeowner, which is which is who you seem to target. So you're dual path. So you're you're targeting homeowner and you're targeting builder, contractor. It's interesting to me. So this designer architect, because that is the majority of the people that that I speak to, and it's really interesting to me because nowadays it is. It has become far more difficult for specifiers to get information, to get proper samples, to, to get, and when I say proper samples, I mean products change so quickly. I think what we saw during you know middle to end of pandemic to to even where we are now is the the product the lifespan of a SKU has shrunk you know, you'll Mm -hmm. have some companies with products on the market for decades. One product, the the way it is, the same product will sell for decades. Nowadays, you know, discontinuation is part of the business. You'll have, if it's not selling great, we're not going to relaunch it. We're not going to try to figure out why we're just going to pull it and put something else out there. I think that's a disservice in many cases to the, to the industry because there's a, a litany of reasons why that might happen. But, I think like you mentioned, this opportunity, this narrow window of, of reaching the this, this specifier comes with a lot more education. So it sounds like you've done the work on the R&D side and then on the testing and efficacy to prove efficiency side. So how do you, how do you teach about the product? And, and isn't that one of the, one of the, the hardest parts about doing something new is that, gosh, now we got to teach everyone about it. We can't just put out something new and beautiful and wonderful and say, look, it works. Just go buy it and use it. But now you have to teach them how to use it. That's a a different, and I bring it up because that's a different arm of the business. How do you do that?
1: Yeah, so I mean, we're, we're quite lucky that a lot of our products are, are pretty intuitive and actually speaking to the technical people in terms of the contractors and having them really pushing us forward has been a huge advantage because they start, like they get things a lot faster, they're more technical than um, a homeowner, for instance, so they kind of understand exactly what it is. The installation process is, is pretty simple. We've actually developed two different lines of products. Every time we come out with a new product, we make a DIY-friendly version that usually requires like the use of a, a drill. And if you're installing the floor, you still need a saw to cut the piece of flooring material. And then we also have um, a, a more pro or um, you know, a little bit ch- more challenging install. So that usually requires mounting things before at the subfloor, before the vent, before the flooring is in or drywall mudding, for instance, that's not like as DIY friendly. And so by having these two arms, we're able to simplify the product to get access to that homeowner or that weekend warrior if they choose to do that installation and then really get like a ultra high end finish with the um, the more flush options that require a pro installation. Um, Educating the customer. I mean, our best tool is really Instagram. And we're very fortunate that the majority of the content that we get on Instagram is actually user generated. So people get very excited about the products, especially contractors and installers, and they want it, they videotape it and post it. And then we reshare it. And you can see like all the possible use cases. We usually get blown away ourselves with how people really interact with it, um, on our social media. And that once you see it, like you see the vent before you see the vent after it's very clear as day is like what the value add that the, the product is. Um, it's funny. We went, or the first time we went to Cabus, it's like 2018, maybe You know, my dad and I were sitting in front of our booth. We had like a beautiful booth set up and all of like our vents were installed on the walls and like people just walking by, like not giving, paying much attention. It's like, dad, they're not stopping. he's like, I think they just don't get what it is. So that night we went to Home Depot, we got an ugly grill vent. And then we started holding those and being like, this is this. And people immediately started catching on. And then our booth was packed for the rest of the show. I'm like, okay, now we need the grill. And funny enough, This year that we went to IBS, um, we thought we were going to need that. And it had been been like maybe two years, obviously, since we'd done a trade show. I would say 95 people that came to our booth knew who we were and knew what the product was. And there was no need to have that ugly grill vent there because they just got it and they had seen us before. So that was pretty remarkable um, to see. And on top of that, when we were at that show, we had all of those attendees talking back to us our value proposition and our brand voice and and our messaging and they were telling us that stuff and i said you know what that is really proof that something is resonating here there's excellent product market fit and i think once you have that everything else comes a lot easier getting people to buy into the idea buying into the brand you know being open to adopting new products that aren't vents it's all easier once you're once you have that product market fit
0: that's really interesting. I, I, as a as a as a brand marketer, I love that. Where it's some you showed them the after and they didn't get it, then you show them the before, and it's like, oh, light bulb, imaginary light bulb. All right, yeah. So that's fascinating to me. I have kind of an odd question for you, and um, last one. This is the perfect one to kind of wrap this up. Something you said. Has been kind of bouncing around in my head since you said it, and that is that the the idea of an a a standard HVAC system is completely inefficient. And the in, huh?
1: I didn't say I didn't say that. I said it could be very inefficient.
0: Sorry, sorry. <laughs> don't I don't have all
1: I, the HVAC people coming after me now. <laughs> no, 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 no,
0: no. Hear hear me out. Let me let me back up a second because I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I, I I'm kind of going somewhere with this because I have I have a thought you you're right it's not it's not the it's not the byproduct of an HVAC system it's a byproduct of the fact that you can't build a system that fits everything when every final product is always unique and different in at least one way or another it's impossible you you can't come up with the perfect system because it, If you said to me, every home is going to be 2,500 square feet, here's the footprint of the home, here's the material it's made out of, here's how we seal off every window and door, here's how we keep it completely airtight, and then you go back to an HVAC system and you say, okay, here's where the ducting is going to be installed, here's where the vents are going to be, here's where the thermostat's going to be, here's where the sun rises, here's where the sun sets, here's here's your zone, here's your humidity level... I get that, and and I'm not. It's not. I'm not putting this off on on HVAC industry. What I'm saying is, it's impossible to achieve perfection because every product is different. Can we stipulate to that? Is that yeah. a fair? Okay. So yeah. saying that, one of the things that I started thinking about when when you said that is, does that make you start thinking more? Does that start making Paolo think more? Does that start making your R and D team? think more about the technology behind what you do as it comes to products that you launch in the next five years. Will there, will there be an automated vent with its own internal motors and drivers that works? You're smiling because you're like, oh, don't even go there. But, <laughs> but I'm, just, I'm just curious because with the advent of AI right, and machine yeah. learning, Everybody is focusing so heavily on what can mid-journey do for imagery and what can chat GPT do for content so that I don't have to write content anymore. I can write my blog. Right. That is not, I'm in the midst of a course uh, through MIT on AI and machine learning. And what I think is fascinating is how it's going to change our industry. You can take a vent company, for example, if we know one, you can take a vent company, for example, that installs drivers into their vents which works each room independently off a off a brain your machine learning so you're feeding data into into a into a, an algorithm that feeds the machine and those data basically say okay so this room is 70 degrees this room is 80 degrees this room is 60 degrees so it can automatically the thermostat judges the flow but each vent thinks independently And serves that room differently. Some open to 90% and some close to 50%. I'm wondering if you think that the technology in something like The Vent catches up with with concepts like like that.
1: Yeah, um, it's really interesting and it's definitely conversations that we've been having. Um, I don't like to ever, never say never, because I, again, (laughs) like 10 years ago, if you told me I'd be here, I'd say you're crazy. Um, So it's always a possibility and that stuff really excites us. I think where we start to think of is, you know, maybe we're not the ones responsible for building that motor, but how can we prepare our products so that they can be modular and take an apparatus like that, that would work that way. It's actually funny you're saying this because, um, and I don't know very much detail, but I was speaking with someone recently, and they told me that they had a somewhat of a smart H- smart HVAC system that did something similar to what you're explaining. It auto adjusts and rebalances each room of exactly what you need. So, like that extra guest room that no one's ever in, you know, redirects that airflow to you know the the other bedrooms that are always hot, something like that. Um, and it's quite interesting, uh, and I think. You know, the more we're able to create efficiencies, you know, the the better, I mean, that's exactly what the market is demanding. We want convenience, we want efficiency, you know, everyone's very aware of the cost of electricity and and things like that. What's also interesting is that, and this is is like blew my mind, um, as consumers, we're used to having dampers on our vents, right? But if you ask any HVAC person, they hate the dampers on the vents because they when they leave your home, they've balanced the whole home to work efficiently. They've adjusted the dampers inside of the ductwork. And when you go and you start messing around with the dampers, you actually throw off the balance of your home. And when we were developing some of our products, we didn't put dampers on there because, um, you know, for, for a couple of different reasons, but we thought let's Let's create an apparatus that if you need to, we can sell an aftermarket piece to put dampers, but let's see how the market reacts. And everybody asks about dampers on those products to say, there's no dampers. Why not? I can't open and close the vent. And then I asked them, well, like how often do you open and close your vent? And they say, well, like maybe once a year in the spring, I'm like, okay. And there's a, there's a damper inside the duct that you could do that. And then I tell them exactly this. If your HVAC specialist sees you doing that, they're not going to be happy because you're throwing off the balance that they've, they've built. So, you know, as consumers, we we're used to, like that, my point is like, we're used to having that freedom of the damper, but not realizing that it has other implications, but it's just a comfort um, that we like to have. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think, I mean, it's inevitable that there's gonna be advances in technology in homes. Um, and we wanna be on on the other side of that. So how can we start to design and prepare for those things? I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, listen, I love that. And that's actually the perfect place to leave this. Roberta, thank you so much for, for taking the time today. And, and if you wanna learn more uh, about our event, um, go to the show notes. There will be a link to the website. I love what you do. And I think it's fantastic. And thank you for the time. And, and tell Paolo I'm a, I'm a fan.
1: I, w- I won't tell him that his, his ego <laughs> <I'm, laughs> is going to get.
0: Is he just, sitting right there? Is he sitting right no, there? Okay. No, he
1: isn't. But I think uh, it's funny enough. <laughs> I think it's, it's his anniversary with my mom. Cause he just came by with a dozen roses and trying to get my attention. I'm like, I'm on doing something right now. <laughs> like no way. Uh, no, it's awesome. I, I will definitely tell him it's it's like for us to talk to people who get excited about this stuff, you know it's like this little club of you know it's just so beautiful and it, it really validates all the work that we're doing. So I get very excited by by other people's excitement and I appreciate you having me on here. This is great. Thank you
0: We are living in a time of incredible growth both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, Their specification process is so simple, it will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, MoyaLiving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. You hear conversations about transformative design all the time on Convo by Design. We talk about it all the time. But what does that really mean? Design improves the lives of those who inhabit the space but it also feeds the creativity and the soul of the creative. Are you looking for a way to give back? The Oasis Alliance is a 501c3 collective of creatives based in and around the Washington DC area with a mission to provide healing spaces to those who are rebuilding, rehabilitating, and recovering. Have you wondered how to apply your design skills to uplift your community? It all starts with a desire and a willingness to share your gifts Danielle Woodhouse Johnson of the Oasis Alliance and her team are looking for guest designers, in-kind sponsors, and funding to make better the spaces, and therefore the lives, of everyday people who find themselves coming out of traumatic situations. Check out the for more information. Thanks for helping. Thank you, Roberta, for the time. Love this idea, love the company, and as a girl dad, love the family dynamic. Thank you to my partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Boya Living, Design Hardware. I truly appreciate the partnership, and thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to the podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss a single episode of the show the moment it's published. Please email me with suggestions and show ideas. Love the input. Email uh, convobydesign at outlook.com and on Instagram at convobydesign with an X. Thanks for listening. Until next week, be well and take today first.